the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the lake of fire, the second death. These are images that flooded my adolescent mind alongside real-life stories of pastors in Soviet prisons and mental institutions. This was all alongside the ever-present possibility of a nuclear holocaust. Fast forward to today, we have Russian hackers, disinformation campaigns, fake news, conspiracy theories, and to top it all, a global pandemic. Surely, the stage is set. I'm Paul White, and this is Apocalypse, the Book of Revelation. Join me and my special guest and friend Pete Milner as we explore what God might be saying through this incredible book to us today. Hi everyone and welcome to my Sauntering Podcast. And once again we're in the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, and I'm here with my great friend Pete Milner. We've been having a great time. Um, looking at this incredible book. And so, Lord Jesus, speak to us today. Let us see you in your glorified risen state as we look at these um, words of scripture. And Lord, speak to us. Let it not just be interesting or historical or something, but let mm. it be transformative for our lives today. Amen. Amen. So, Pete, I'll read... Um, a bit and then we'll stop and have a little chat and see how we get on. So, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, that, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet you have, yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him, or, or he who has an ear, should we say, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Mm. So we were saying, or um, Pete, you were saying very clearly that, um, in our last chapter that these are specific churches mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the way that's been kind of interpreted All just right. real quick well I, I think that the fact that there's seven of them invites the sense that people think this is a cipher and right. I need to decipher a hidden code yes I have to work it out and as such some people have come out and said well what we think is that these are the seven they're symbolic of the seven different times where God has um, dispensed his grace and substantially mm -hmm. changed the deal between people and God. So 
you know, they say, oh, like, Adam had a dispensation of grace, and then, you know, Noah gets another one, Abraham gets another one, Moses gets another one, and we count them through, and we think, well, there's seven great times where God changed the deal. I don't think that's actually going to pass muster. I think there's far more than seven. Right. And they blur. And so I think, although it's a good idea to try and understand it in an abstract way, and then try and bring it down into reality in a, a kind of application... I do think that that idea is highly dubious. Right. And it's the same with the people who say, well, this is seven kind of eras of the church. You know, this this Ephesus one can be our first era of when the apostles were alive and the early church was first starting. And we'll have the next one be the next few hundred years and the next one be the next few hundred years. And we'll have it as different eras of the church, which predicted how things would go. My reason for thinking that's also highly dubious is, firstly, that is appallingly Eurocentric. It's right. not helpful at all to think that Christianity was only located in the history of Europe. Right. I think it fails the people of the wider church in Africa and Asia and across the world. Secondly, the, the lines are no way as clear as some people make it sound. You know, a the, the I mean, firstly, the periods of history would all be different lengths. Secondly, nobody ever acknowledged that they were in one of the first eras everybody who's tried this activity to say these are the seven eras of the church everybody thinks they're in the last one you know they never think they're in the middle they always think oh gosh it must be nearly over by now and from the first century to the 21st people did imminently expect jesus to come partly because of this text but i think the whole exercise of trying to see him that way is pretty dubious Instead, yeah. we should recognise this is the kind of thing Jesus might say, perhaps to any church. Yeah. And I've asked people before, you know, what would you give the Ephesians out of 10 in the way that Jesus scores them here? You know, how are they doing? How are they getting on? Hmm. And my feeling is they get about an 8 or a 9 out of 10. You know, they're doing well. They've tested those who say they're apostles and they aren't. And, you know, they hate the Nicolaitans and their practices. And they've just got this one problem, really, which is that they've lost their first love somehow but isn't it interesting that jesus to i mean when i read it pete this mm. is me yeah i read i don't read all the good bits mm. i read the but oh and i think jesus you've got this against me yeah i can't bear it i can't oh. live no jesus has got something against me i oh. let me die now it's just yeah. like what jesus says in, in the gospel of john isn't he i've got much to say to you but more than you can now bear and i'm like oh jesus don't try, say try, that just to try me. me try me <laughs> hit me with it <laughs> but it's so interesting and so mm. for me i i feel this incredible sorrow when i read it he says but i have this against you and bear in mind i mean unless i'm very much mistaken mm. ephesus is the church where jesus's mum is at mary very probably it's the it the John who's writing this was an elder there. Yeah, that's true. The church was planted by the apostle Paul. Sure, <laughs> it had a pretty good provenance, this, didn't it? Do you know this what I mean? is the London of Western. This Turkey. is not some yeah. rubbish little this house not church. That, town. Yeah, yeah. This is the capital city this of the is, region. Oh man, and the foundational church. But but just so profound, isn't it? That I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. They hadn't even. They it hadn't even just got sort of switched off, but at some point they'd actually walked away from it. That's frightening. It's so interesting. Um, Irenaeus, who comes along maybe a, a few decades after this is written, 
um, kind of gives us a bit of a potted history of Ephesus and the Ephesian church. And he says that um, Timothy was one of the the, the sort of church leader type person over it. Um, the Onesimus of the letter of Philemon fame, the freed yeah, slave, yeah, yeah. he became overseer of the church in Ephesus towards me. the end of the first century. This is a superpower. This is a who's who of Christian at the end of the first nobility, cent- really. At the end of the first century, it makes more sense to locate the capital of Christianity in Ephesus than Jerusalem, Rome, wow. or Constantinople for sure. Well, it wasn't called that then, but that's the point. Um, this is the the true kind of center of Christianity. That is for so sure. amazing. And but I, I do get that the <clears throat> sen- the sense is like, oh no, it's not perfect. You know, we're so used to hearing Jesus say, "You are my beloved child." You know, yeah. I love you. You're my <laughs> faithful servant. You know, I I give my life for you gladly. You know, I don't call you servants anymore. I call mm-hmm. you friends. Yeah. But we have to uncover this because. I mean, we've heard people say, haven't we? You know, I like the God of the New Testament, but not so much the God of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. I'm reading texts like this and thinking, well, (laughs) I can't find any difference. It's still the same one. You know, there's still that same urgent need to keep our our practices clean, keep our hands clean and keep on walking faithfully because there is a disaster which could befall us. But it's so interesting that the crime was not immorality or, you know, something, you know, that, you know, someone embezzling the money it was that their love they they'd allowed their first love to be just grow replaced with something else and so he says actually you need to repent Mm -hmm. which is that word we we know so well it means to change your mind it's obviously changing your heart your body Mm. your orientation yeah turn around and do the things you did at first yeah so go after me with that same passion and zeal mm-hmm. you did when you first knew me. Yeah. Oh, man. And so good. And on the other hand, I think there's a great session for the 21st century church in tolerance here. Mm-hmm. Because he says two things about tolerance which are so important for us. First of all, you're enduring patiently. Right. It's really bad, difficult which thing. Is a, which is good. A bonus Good job point, on, yeah. on enduring patiently and tolerating the, the evil times that you're in, you know, great job on that. You're doing well. Secondly, you don't tolerate the evil folks teachings Very of the people. Nicolaitans. Yeah. So there are two kinds of tolerance, really. One is the kind of unfortunate, sad kind of problems that come along with just being a part of this world. You know, we are mm. mortal. We do die. We do get sick. We, we fail. We, we are yeah. just are oh, so subject to this futility Hmm. and jesus doesn't get angry at us for that he doesn't say like you haven't got a chipper smile on your face so you are terrible that's not what he's saying at all he's saying look you've had a hard time Mm -hmm. and well done good job but the other thing is different the the kind of pernicious evil false teachings that distort and twist the truth of god they get into the church sometimes and we are tempted sometimes to think, to think, well, oh gosh, no one's perfect and everyone's mm-hmm. got their own opinion and it's all a little bit of a much of a muchness. We all have to put up with things we don't really like. But Jesus is drawing a hard distinction here. Some things are just incidental to the fact that we live in a fallen world. Endure them patiently, you know, travail, work at it. And one day there'll be no more. Mm-hmm. Secondly, false teaching. We cannot afford to have that same leisure. We can't see it as just some harmless, benign, incidental force, we have to not tolerate it. Yeah. We have to draw the hard line. And we don't really know so much about the Nicolaitans, but we assume it's something to do with a kind of mixture of um, 
bringing in a, a level of uh, sexual immorality into the church and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, and... we, we don't know. Um, there is a person <clears throat> called Nicholas <clears throat> who is mentioned as a deacon in Ephesus in Acts chapter 6. Um, the history is missing. Yeah. Um, it's possible that he or some of his teachings kind of grew into this grotesque kind of distortion yeah. of Christianity. I don't want to bring that on Nicholas. No. The, pro- the guy probably Could did be a probably harmless guy, yeah. Yeah, it's great. probably someone else. It's probably named after somebody yeah. who sort of cooked up some false teachings and tried to take over, but the Ephesus church said no. And but, it's a regional thing. You know, the Nicolaitans yeah. are mentioned in some of these other yeah. ones. Then he wraps it up with this word of encouragement, doesn't he? To, mm. to the one who conquers, mm. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Mm. It's interesting that the tree of life is still around. I guess it would be. <laughs> well, by definition I mean, you remember eden you know he says they must not be allowed now to eat yeah. from the tree of life and live forever because the sin and the corruption is in there mm-hmm. and we can't let that live forever so i have to clean them up of their sin and you can eat from the tree of life when you're dead <laughs> 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 hooray oh for that i guess yeah. but yeah it's something to look forward to isn't it and it's so there's one final thing i'd like to say about this and that is that um, there is a vulnerability in the way that we in the West talk about getting saved and becoming a Christian, mm-hmm. which is a bit like becoming a Christian is like opening the chocolate bar and realising that you've got the golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. And once you've got it, boy, oh boy, you've got it. Yeah. And one day you'll get to go to the chocolate factory and experience everlasting life in heaven and things like that one day. But until then, you just have to tuck it in a pocket and look after it and then live however you please. Mm-hmm. And what Jesus is saying is that it's the one that conquers, the yeah. one that overcomes, the yeah. one that kind of patiently works at it. That's how yes. to get saved. It's not just one moment which is then over and then you're guaranteed. It's a lifestyle change of wow. repentance and faith. Yeah. Wow. So verse eight then, and to the church Sorry, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? Mm-hmm. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are, are a synagogue of Satan. Mm. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that ye may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, mm. Pete, there's some interesting little kind of trigger words in there from the, the sort of from my childhood or my okay. adolescent understanding of the book of Revelation. This is a good turn or burn passage, isn't it? <laughs> so um, he says, I know your tribulation. Mm-hmm. So they're suffering, they're endurance. So you're being, pressure. you're under pressure. Mm-hmm. You're being squeezed. Yeah. And your poverty, which is tough, isn't it? But actually yes. he's saying you, you're rich. Yeah. You don't perceive it, but you're rich. Yeah. And that fulfills a, a <clears throat> prophetic promise from the Old Testament, doesn't it? Let the poor man say, I am rich. And it's yeah, in a song too, right. isn't it? Yeah. It's really good. What do you think he is getting at here? And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but this are a such, synagogue of Satan. This what do you is make such an interesting point. At some point at the end of the first century, the Christians were expelled from the synagogue. 
Jesus oh, said right. it would happen. Okay, so he said they're going to put you out yeah. in the synagogues. They're going to think they're doing God a favor. And the, there was a, a point where synagogues just at large stopped accepting Christians mm-hmm. as part of the Jewish culture that, that met there. And at that point, there was sort of irreducibly a distinction between a Jewish person and a Christian person. Sort of end of the first century, yeah. that's about when it happened. There's no kind of smoking gun historically you can point to to say that's definitely when it happened. But at some point it happened. Now, I think we should see here that Jesus says being Jewish is a good thing. You know, they their problem is they say they're Jewish, but they're not. Right. So he's not slagging off Jews. No, he's disparaging not. them. No. He's saying, no, actually... These people claim to have that nobility, but they're not. Absolutely. And it's like Paul, you know, he says, what advantage has the Jew? Much in every way. There's this this whole history and sacred treasure of scripture and Mm -hmm. the tradition and stuff. This is super. It's fine to be Jewish, but Jesus is at odds with people who say they're Jewish. when Actually, in fact, they aren't. They're a synagogue of Satan. Which is the accuser. Our, yes. arch enemy yes the per the one who is trying to pull us down and destroy the work of god mm-hmm. everything god initiates he tries to thwart or pervert yeah. or twist steal kill and destroy yeah. that's his reason detra and for sure revelation is the book the book of all books which ties up the the character of satan into one kind of clearly mm-hmm. identifiable figure so right it later on in the book it gets there too but with no ambiguity yeah. in the end yeah yeah sometimes yeah. there's a bit of mystery about who or what the satan is exactly mm-hmm. in the old testament yeah, sometimes yeah. There's a bit of mystery of whether it means the same thing as this other character that appears and mm-hmm. disappears but revelation is the place where it's tied up together satan is the force behind the kind of main perversions that are at large in the world and these people have kind of made an alliance with the accuser and are getting at the church and so following on from that the devil mm-hmm. yeah same person is about to throw some of you into prison that's right um so that you will be tested mm. and this is so important for roman prison right we shouldn't think of roman prison being like modern western prisons right um, there's two kinds of modern western prisons one's where you're thrown in to be punished so you mm-hmm. feel good and sorry about what you've done mm-hmm. including the capital punishment type thing and the second is one of a kind of reforming prison where you mm-hmm. hopefully learn to kind of turn from your old ways and, and engage with society in a positive way on your release. Roman prison, not really like either of those. Roman prison is, Paul, tell me you hate Jesus and you worship all the gods of the Roman tradition. And if you say no, can't do it, won't do it, make me sucker. Yeah. <laughs> Could never. Can't. Won't. Can't. Yeah, yeah. Won't. Not gonna. Then what they'll do is they'll throw you in a hole with a iron gate across the top and leave you in there until you feel like doing it. So they're mm. not really there to punish you and they're not really there to help you become a better person and a more integrated member of society. They're in there. You're in there until you will confess. Wow. So when Jesus says, visit the ones in prison... It's because if you don't feed them, they'll die. And if you don't encourage them, they'll die. And they are stuck in a hole with no toilet, no food, no water. It's cheap to have Roman jails. You don't have to feed them or anything. You're basically in the toilet. You're in there until you realise the errors of your ways and that it'd be better to go along with whatever the emperor says you should say. And so the whole point is it's organised around confession. Romans Mm. understood the power of public confession. And lots of things the New Testament have to say kind of chime with that because 
the Christians were, lots of them, Romans. They understood that it was important to stand up and say in front of everybody, Jesus is Lord mm. and I shall have no other. You know, they, they, we have a great and glorious tradition of people who looked death in the face and said exactly that thing. Yeah. And so for the Smyrnans, it's like the, the pain of it all and the problem for them is that for a lot of them, this is an extreme test, you know, yeah. a very high probability that some of them will die. And Jesus is saying, just hang on, hang on for your dear life. Hang on by the skin of your teeth, by your fingernails. And don't worry. Don't be afraid. Overcome. This won't last forever. It's interesting that he gives it a kind of finite number, even if we're not going to do numerology. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he says it's for 10 days. Yeah. So it's, this is, he's kind of almost saying... This is a defined period of time yeah. and it will come to an end. Yeah, this it? is a critical moment. And that that, that mm. is true in terms of, if you look at the history of Roman persecution, imperial persecution of the Christian church, you get a bit of it mostly localised in Rome under Nero. You mm. get a lot of it empire-wide under the reign of Domitian, which is around about 91 and onwards AD. That's when I think Revelation was written for the record. Um, but then it stops for a bit. And then you get a bit more of it just after 100 AD. And then it stops again. Then you get a bit more of it later. And I think that what Jesus is giving the church is a long view. Remember, we talked in the beginning about that cosmic perspective. Yeah. This doesn't last forever. You mm-hmm. don't have to be afraid. And whether Great. it's COVID or whether it's World War II or whether it's Genghis Khan or whether it's the Roman Empire, hmm. whatever it is that you think is locking you in, it cannot last forever. It was sure to fall and all that we left at the end is God's love and glory and big welcoming arms, which we're all looking forward to. Amazing. So when Jesus says, be faithful unto death, that isn't like... It's not a nicety. Hyperbole no. or kind of using, oh, I wish I could die. I'm just so bored. It's not that kind of thing, is it? It's like, this is proper death where you actually die, where your family go into mourning because you're no longer able to mm. come home. That's true. Because you died in a hole. Yeah. So he's saying, he don't he, he he's saying, be faithful unto death. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have a massively glorious tradition of Christians who've done precisely that, yes. and even to this day are doing that around the world in some countries where they will refuse to deny Jesus and mm-hmm. literally face death, which yeah. is very sobering, isn't it? It is awe-inspiring. Yeah. And um, but the, he says, then I'll give you the crown of life. Yeah. So what you what you lose in a dark, dingy, painful hole mm-hmm. will actually be replaced by an unsurpassable yeah. glory. The everlasting reality will be one in which we will look back on our time of suffering and just rejoice and be glad because mm-hmm. our names are written in the book of life. Um, for the record, I think this is the first time in the Bible the um, the the second death is named as such. Um, It's a common one throughout Revelation. The second death Mm -hmm. is the word for that kind of destruction, the everlasting death that comes um, after the kind of crossroads of history where kind of history ends and everlasting eternity begins. There is a second death, a lake of fire, a place of everlasting destruction where, um, you know, thankfully Satan is tossed in hand, foot and pointy tail And, you know, the Antichrist and some of these other characters that appear later are are thrown in along with everybody who follows them. Mm. But Jesus promises that whatever it is, you don't have to fear if you hang on to my name because you won't be hurt by it. It's not going to be your problem. Wow. We'll talk some more about that, Pete, I think, Mm -hmm. coming up. Um, Verse 12, then, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum write the words of him who has the sharp 
two-edged sword we already mentioned mm-hmm. so the words of jesus basically uh, verse 13 i know where you dwell where satan's throne is mm-hmm. that accuser has actually got his throne where you live yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of antipas my faithful witness who was killed among you where satan dwells mm-hmm. but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war with them. With the sword of my mouth. Mm -hmm. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. That is precious. That is amazing. Yeah. So I remember you telling me that one day you went to a country far away. And when you were there, you saw a gigantic idol in the town. Yeah. And you felt that same words kind of come back to you in the spirit. Where Satan has his throne. Yeah. This this, this was um, Candy in Sri Lanka. Right. This massive Buddha. Mm-hmm. Multicoloured thing. And it's huge. I mean, it's like, I don't know, maybe a house... Five, five stories high? Huge. Right, really big. Yeah. I thought, man, there's no no hiding who's the... <laughs> who's in charge? King around here. Who thinks he is at any rate? Oh, gosh. Well, he might think a lot of things, but he's dead now. <laughs> and I really think that, that this is a great picture because I, it helps to refresh the church's memory in terms of who's who in the cosmic battle between good and evil. Um, there are some people who talk about the kingdom of hell and darkness and Satan as one side, and then the kingdom of God and light on the other. And they're kind of equal opposites, you know, yin mm. and yang, the yeah, light and yeah. the dark. And it's sort of 50, 50 as to we who's call that a dualism or what we is... could call that a dualism. Yeah. I think that that is not the biblical reality no. in the biblical reality. Satan is hilariously outgunned. He's right. got yeah. no chance of winning. And yeah. it's, it's like, what this is, is the thrashings of a petulant and absolutely misguided um, loser who mm-hmm. is thrashing around. And um, Satan is not omnipresent. Right. So he has to set up shop somewhere yeah. and try and sort of disseminate his horrible ideas to everybody and steal and kill and maim and destroy as the Bible teaches that is his principal activity. Mm. Thanks for nothing. But... This place here in Pergamum appears to be somewhere he sort of set up shop. And mm. it might be that there is a, an idol or a temple or a, or a seat or a, a kind of piece of religious imagery in Pergamum, which is kind of fittingly seen as the sort of embodiment of this truth. Mm. Um, some people say there was a sort of great throne of Zeus that was there. Right. And um, there's other things of that sort. To me, it's less clear that there's definitely one thing being meant, but... For sure, this is a, a, a church under the cosh, isn't it? Yeah. And um, Antipas, gosh, not Herod Antipas, no. for, for clarity. 
uh, not Antipas that fox, as John the Baptist says. <laughs> no, this is a guy called Antipas who was martyred sometime in the 60s AD um, for his faithfulness to Jesus. He was told to repent and he wouldn't. Good job, Antipas. And Jesus says, look, you're, you're under that same pressure here. And if you look at his, the sort of out of 10 rating, like I said, I give, yeah, it, yeah. I give Ephesus about a 9 out of 10. Yeah. I think Smyrna's having a horrible time, but they're getting a good 8 out of 10, aren't mm-hmm. they? Pergamum's where it's like, ah, yeah, you guys have a lot to do. <laughs> You've got some, some work, work to do, yeah. boys and girls. Oh, But that same promise to the one that conquers, they will be the one that receive the gift of life and the yeah. rewards that come with it. He does say, verse 16, he says, therefore repent. Mm-hmm. And if not, yeah. I will come to you and war against them with the sword of my mouth. So he's, he's not saying I'm going to war against you as a church, but I am going to war against these people who hold this false teaching and yeah. have kind of celebrated it and kind of lived according to it. Yeah. I'm going to come and, and I will bring a judgment with mm-hmm. this sword, you know, this two-edged sword that comes out of my mouth. Yeah. But actually you don't have to, there is a, there is even now you've got time and mm-hmm. here's the word, repent, yeah. change your heart, change your mind. Leaders of the church presumably do something about it. Yeah. Turn around, take change some behavior. Action. Let's yeah. take some action. Yeah. There's this great thing about the promised coming of Jesus. And it's true of Old Testament prophets and these New Testament texts where the coming of Christ is good news, gospel, right? Yeah. But if you're in the wrong camp, it's bad news. Yeah. It's- you know, the Malachi's got this great line, you know, the day of the Lord, he'll come and he'll... Um, it'll be like a fuller's bleach. Yeah. You know, it'll be like a burning fire. And yeah. It'll be like Refiner's a scary fire, yeah. day of, of yeah. blood and fire and smoke. And if you are arranged against Jesus in your heart when he comes, the, his second coming is going to be bad news It's not going to be great, is it? And it's going to be good news to those who are being saved. And yeah. there's a lot of that kind of need to separate one from the other and just mm. call good good and evil evil and just pitch your tent in where it's good this is uh such an interesting little kind of closing message isn't it to the mm-hmm. one who conquers i will give some of the hidden manna mm-hmm. it's like that well we know that that is jesus in one sense because he's the bread that came down from heaven yeah that's john chapter six isn't it we know that man won't live by bread alone but by every word mm-hmm. that's another name for jesus isn't it that comes out of yeah and so you kind of wonder what this is, whether it's an actual substance or whether it's a kind of relationship with the word of God that is special and nourishing and sweet and so on. There's that dichotomy again, though, because the word of God comes from his mouth and slays the ones who who are bad. The word of God is here to nourish and encourage and sustain, isn't it? Almost in the same sentence, well, same paragraph. Yeah, for sure. And then he, this little intriguing statement, you know, I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone. It's like a little, I'm going to exchange a special secret between me and you that you and me are the only ones who know about. That is beautiful, isn't it? (laughs) Can't wait. There are people who've tried to say that the um, Pergamon particularly is, is, there's a beryl mine there, a quarry which has white stones in it. Um, they might be meaning a voting practice where you give a black stone if you mean no and a white stone if you mean yes. Mm-hmm. It's a sort of yes and amen from Jesus. Yeah. I think, again, don't mind. No. Don't mind. It's just something that, that something. Jesus is saying. And it obviously meant a lot to And it's to a them. special thing, isn't it? Between sure. 
Jesus and the one who receives it. It's intimate, it's personal, and in that sense, it is universally applicable because yeah. we can look at it and say, actually, if I endure, that same promise will come to me. Amazing. And that's he wants us to endure, doesn't he? He does. It's in, in his interest in, right now. Do, yeah. yeah, in the 21st century. Yeah. And to the church, sorry, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So again, just another glorious descriptor of Jesus, um, but different to the previous one, which was different to the one before that, which was different to the one before that, but it's all the same Jesus. Um, He has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first so you're making progress good job verse 20 but i have this against you that you tolerate that woman jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols i gave her time to repent but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. Ouch. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So let's just stop there, Pete. Talk a little real quick about this character Jezebel here. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't know who she is. That she's lost to history as a as a single person. We know who the original Jezebel was. Yeah. In the days of Elijah, she was the queen and she was a hideous figure. Yeah. Immorality, idolatry, and all that stuff bound up. Um, it's not clear whether Jezebel is a kind of spiritual title Jesus is giving this thing, but um, I think that we sh- we should see that it is a real person. Yeah. It's a real person calling herself a prophetess who's enticing people to immorality and idolatry she's seducing she's got all this kind of twisting yuckiness that kind mm-hmm. of comes from a, a really dead wrong kind of spiritual mm-hmm. movement she's used twisting and, and deceit to kind of cause other people to sin yeah. and re- and it, it's one of those interesting things about jesus that he says look you've got to turn around you've got to repent you've got to get out of that yeah but it's really her works of which you must repent And this is one of those things that comes along, like what James says about teachers. He says, not many of us should presume to be teachers because we know that those who teach will be judged more severely. And it's Jezebel's words and works that have led people astray. And in a way, it's kind of, I'm not going to say it's not people's fault because everybody's, you know, that's what James says, isn't it? You know, you can't blame God if you sin. You sin because you're dragged away by your own desire Mm. and enticed. So it is people's own fault. And that's why Jesus is giving them a clear chance to turn around and and make the clean break of it. But it's like, maybe you haven't even perpetrated any mayhem or evil with this woman, but you still got to get get out of it. You've still got to break fellowship with it. And what he's saying is that there will be earthly consequences and spiritual consequences Mm. to this false teaching. No, and I, I think some Christians get ever so complicated when they see 
illness and death and, and kind of misfortune before things. And they, mm-hmm. they presume that because it's happening, God must be punishing someone. Yeah. But like the guys who came to Jesus and they say, you know, who sinned, this person yeah. or his parents, that he would be born crippled in this way? And Jesus says, oh, you guys, it's not it's like that. Either. Yeah. No, it's not. It's just so that my power and God's yeah. power can be demonstrated through his yeah. life. And so this is one example where actually it is Jezebel's own works that's going to lay her on a bed of sickness and, mm-hmm. and punish her and she's going to suffer great misfortune. But this is where like she's too far gone. She hasn't repented. She's been given the offer and she's made her bed in with the accuser and with wow. the one that distorts the truth. There's a, there's a, a shocking kind of finality about that yeah. pronouncement, isn't there? You know, I've given her time, but she didn't. So hmm. that's it. The door that that option is now closed for her. Yeah. And yeah, so she's going to have this un- really horrible end. Mm. And also all the things that she's been doing are going to kind of collapse around her. Yeah. And unfortunately her children as well, which is very, very sad. Mm. Yeah. We, I mean, we don't know if the children have conscious part in this even, do we? And it's, I, I often think of it a bit like the guy who touches the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. You know, when they're transporting it back and he thinks he's doing God a favor by laying out his hand when the wagon stumbles yeah, yeah. and, and the, he doesn't want the ark to fall off. So he touches the ark to hold it steady and drops dead right there. Incredible. And you can bet your bottom dollar that everybody around him was like, oh, he's been punished with death by God. Yeah. And obviously their, their big remembrance is to remember that the sacred things of God cannot be treated as if they are ordinary. That's yeah. just the deal. Yeah. But I like to think, that poor guy woke up in heaven immediately and he was like, whoa, what was that? And Jesus is like, hey, welcome back. <laughs> had to let you die on earth because, you know, I had to teach you a lesson about holiness. Yeah. But here, welcome. Good job, yeah. man. Like, sorry about that. That was just an <laughs> object lesson I wanted to unfold yeah. on, on the world through you. So uh, no worries about the mortal life. That's over now, but don't worry about it. I, I think sometimes death can be like that for people. You know, it's like it's it's liberating. But clearly for this suffering. woman, she's being... Being cursed. Cursed, yeah. isn't she? That, yeah. is the, that is the obvious yeah. intention, isn't it? All yeah. of these people will perish mortally and they're in danger of that second death yeah. that we're warning them about. Yeah. So, and I will give each of you according to your works. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really interesting one for evangelical Christians who believe that, you know, again, like you said, once yep. saved... Always saved. I've got my golden ticket. ticket. I'm on my way. I'm on the glory train. Everybody's works will be tested. There is that, isn't there? We can't get away from that. Peter says it. And, you know, I think we have to recognise that when we stand in front of Jesus, there's going to be a kind of... An accountability, uh, isn't there? Nowhere to hide. We're going to lay bare the secrets of men's hearts. And what we did in secret will be announced from the rooftops. And... It is impossible to imagine that moment fully, isn't it? Only that we dread it. And I think whatever you do, just don't let that dread take over and destroy Mm. you. Let yourself be affected by the the kind of call to renew and repent and take charge and hold on and go for it. Because if you live your life full of that same guilt and shame and expectation of judgment, then it's going to collapse your ability to actually live the gospel yeah. life. It's, it's, it's perverse really, isn't it? Well, it's... we have to trust him with it, don't yeah. we? Because he will judge us according to what yeah. we've done. And yet there will be a 
well done, good and faithful servant too, if we will hold on to his word of truth. Amazing. Verse Mm. 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching... So there were clearly a contingent who didn't go mm-hmm. along with all this horrendous stuff, whatever it was. Well done, you guys. Yeah. So commend commendations to you. Mm-hmm. Who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. (laughs) He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's incredible, isn't it? So, So really, Jesus is saying, you guys, you've been living in this horrendous environment. I'm not going to load you up with expectations. Just mm-hmm. hang on in there. Yeah. Until I come, in, until deliverance comes and yeah. I come and rescue you kind of thing out mm. of this situation. I'm sure many people have thought that that was until I come and kind of end everything. Yeah. But then I guess that wouldn't have been much help. Yeah. 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 But so they... it must have had an immediate fulfillment for that Yeah. particular group of people, do you think? I think so. And um, I think it's so like Jesus to not just hang it over them and say, I'll come one day and end everything and everything will be better. And it's all very distant. But he says, this is going to come for you and visit you. You're going to be liberated from this problem. Jezebel's not going to live forever. Her Mm -hmm. teachings are not going to survive the test of time. You know, don't be afraid. Just hang on. And his promise to him is the same, isn't it? Mm. He's the one who comes and is the king of all the universe. And what does he do? His first act as king is he shares it with Amazing. people. You know, his his plan was not to just establish a kingdom in this world where he could rule and, and you know, be this tyrant. But it was to democratise it almost, yeah. you know, to, to give it to the apostles yeah. and to the church, to share it. It's when he gives it to the 72, you know, that same authority that I've received. Yeah. I give it to you and now go proclaim the gospel, make disciples, Incredible. drive out demons, raise the dead, heal the sick, do all the works that I do. Just the same as what he's telling Thyatirans to do. Do all the stuff that I do and thereby inaugurate the kingdom, you know, announce it. And it's at that moment when finally the people of God are living under the instruction of, of Jesus that's when the kingdom is come. You know, that's when Satan is cast out like lightning from heaven because he has no place in heaven. The rule of God on earth has come and the church is the embodiment of the governance of Jesus. Mm. And so when we do a wretched job, oh no, there is still a danger that we'll lose it, that we'll miss yeah. it, that we'll fail or kind of tolerate some horrible teaching. But the challenge to us always is to refresh and renew our mm-hmm. commitment to hang on to the bitter end and Very to keep good. on Very good. doing those same works. Excellent. And so what do you make of this 28 then? To him, I, I will give him the morning star. What do we think that is? Well, this is the same one who describes himself as the morning star earlier in the book. Isn't so it was it? a bit like saying, I'll give you the hidden manna. Yeah. I'll let you feed of me. Yes. I'll give you me. Yeah. And everything that is mine is yours. This is the... <laughs> In the Orthodox tradition, in the Eastern churches, they don't struggle with this so much. 
They say with full confidence that Jesus came and, and diminished himself or subjected himself or condescended mm -hmm. to our humanity so that we could do the reverse and ascend to his divinity. Mm -hmm. He came to divinize humanity, to make us one with God, to um, raise us up and give us a place as his children, as part of his own kind of order of being in that way. Now, most evangelicals sort of grit their teeth and tighten their toes up and scrunch up a little bit. And we're like, oh, I'm uncomfortable with thinking that humans could be God because yeah. that's anathema to us. You know, we don't worship people. We don't worship yeah. humans, only Jesus alone. And it's it's hard for us. But I think that what Jesus is saying is all I have is yours in so the same good. way as he said yeah. to all his apostles. Beautiful. And we have to see what that will lead to. And I, I'm one of these people that's cautious about that kind of language, because I think mm -hmm. what he's not saying is that you will all be little Jesuses. Mm -hmm. And that means everyone should just worship each other and yeah, kind of right. recognize that. That's sure. not it, is it? But he's saying everything I have, all the great glorious powers and titles I have will be shared. I'll, I'll find a way to give them to you as well. Beautiful. What a great way to end this mm. chapter. So thanks once again, Pete, and God bless you, everyone. And we'll see you on chapter three.